Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody. I I can't think of something I would rather do more than have a wonderful conversation with people I know and people I've got to meet. And that is certainly the case today. So thank you for joining me and joining me every week because my guest today is Lauren Stevens. And while I didn't know her prior to this, you were, you're going to feel her connection to me because we have established that. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be here, and I want to congratulate you for your seventh anniversary. That's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. That's kind. I I love this. You know, don't get stuck behind me in a line somewhere because I was born to talk, and if you're wearing something that's going to start a conversation or you're not, I'm still going to. Why did you buy those carrots? I'm going to start talking to you. But that's not what this show is about today. This show is about you, and I want to let our guests, our listeners know that you are the president of, ghost, of two ghostwriting companies. One is called Write Wisdom, and the other is called Bright Star Memoirs. And on top of that, and and there's so much more to you, you are about to release your very first novel, and it's called All Sorrows Can Be Born, and it's due to release one week from today. So congratulations on that. That is really phenomenal. Before we start talking about your novel, I, I really appreciate when my guests can just share a little bit about themselves so that we can get to know you as we listen to our conversation. So tell our tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I will do that, but first I just want to circle back to one thing which I think is one of the reasons why you and I feel like we have a connection because the kind of uh, mantra of my companies is everyone has a story to tell. <laughs> yes. And that's oh. your... That's your theme, and that's what drives you, and that's what drives me, and that's what makes life so fabulous. Right. Um, you know, you just never know who you're going to meet when you peel back the skin of the onion. You know, it's just somebody can look kind of ordinary or who knows what, and then you sit down mm-hmm. and you have that eye contact or what we're doing today, Um, (laughs) you discover, you know, you discover something so amazing and oftentimes connections Mm -hmm. in your background or whatever it might be um, that, that, uh, you know, really uh, speaks to our, our common humanity. So I just wanted to mention that. Thank you, Lauren. So you asked me a little bit to say a little bit about my background. Um, Mm -hmm. 
it's awfully hard to say a little bit because... I know you're so accomplished, that's why. No, it's but you're because, modest. you know, I, I, I've done a lot of different things in my life. Um, you know, I, I, I've had many different careers. Um, just sort of in a nutshell, I was born in New York City, and my parents made the decision to move to the suburbs, uh, and we all did so very happily and then discovered that suburbia wasn't all it was cracked up to be, <laughs> and it could be kind of a lonely place. Uh, and I was a very lonely child. Um, mm-hmm. I, had a, I have a sister who's a year younger than I am, and she was always the belle of the ball. She had so many friends, and... She was so popular. I, on the other hand, was kind of a, a, a shy and a bit retiring. Um, mm-hmm. And I found my friends in uh, books and in the neighborhood dogs, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. That's cool. uh, we grew up in an area where there were no fences, and so one lawn bled into another, and the dogs had free reign, and so you could adopt a pet. And... Um, I had a collie that was my friend, and I had two Mm -hmm. St. Bernards that were my friends, and I'd come home from school and and sort of hunker down with them, or I would watch television. I was a television junkie, which I guess is one of the reasons that I love stories so much, because I got to plug into, you know, some amazing stories in the afternoon when I probably should have been doing my homework, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) um, And and my other sort of salvation uh, from suburbia was camp. I was lucky enough to get sent to sleepaway camp from the time I was 10 years old, and all the other little girls would be crying at the train station, bye, Mommy, bye, Daddy, I'm going to miss you so much, I would just jump on that train. (laughs) I was so thrilled to get away, and it was there that I really made lasting friendships. In fact, my oldest friend comes from camp at the Perry Mansfield School in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. It was a combination Mm -hmm. drama camp slash western riding camp and oh. in the mornings we'd do drama and in the afternoon we'd draw we'd ride you know western saddle and go on overnight trips into the rockies and it was just bliss so mm. um you know the end of every summer i'd i'd be crying as i'd be leaving my bunk <laughs> while all the other girls would be packing up you know, just couldn't wait to get home. <laughs> that's so funny. that 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 kind of gives you a little sense of 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 me as a, a child and a kid, a teenager, and uh, then I went to Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, and did my graduate work at Columbia University in international mm-hmm. affairs, um, and then sort of launched a, a very um, varied career. Uh, I I spent years in the investment banking world, believe it or not, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, honed my listening skills and my selling skills, and uh, it was, to some degree, an incredibly exciting time. I was the only woman who was the senior vice president of a mortgage banking firm, 
uh, and I traveled all over the country, but it was also incredibly exhausting because at the same time I got married and had a son, and trying to balance all of that is not easy, and I definitely have incredible empathy for women today who are trying to do it all. Uh, mm-hmm. Something always falls between the cracks and you never do everything perfectly, even if you'd like to be that perfect mom and that right. perfect career woman and all the rest of it. Um, and I got divorced and moved to Los Angeles because, believe it or not, my hu- my ex-husband was out here uh, pursuing a career in the entertainment industry, and I wanted my son to have access to his father. So I packed my bags, and he and I moved out to Los Angeles, and the only person I knew here was my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a brave thing to do, don't you think? Yes, indeed. Absolutely. But what you, I mean, I, I want to talk about your book, but I just got to tell people because I have a feeling you are very humble and you have had an incredible career in the theater and film industry. I mean, we're talking nominated for Emmys. You've, you've done some remarkable things in your life. I, and, and perhaps that is maybe we could just spend a whole show talking about that previous career because holy cow, Lauren, truly, that this working, for, working at PBS, just all of the different things that you've done is just pretty remarkable, I must say. And you're just humble. well. Thank you. And again, it you know the sort of through line is that storyteller part mm-hmm. of me. Um, I was lucky enough to hook up with somebody who was a, a a director, and she needed me to help her raise money to get a film done. And I did that, and then I just absolutely fell in love with you know film and mm-hmm. a seat of the pants situation. She mentored me and. The two of us ended up, you know, producing a whole bunch of docudramas and documentaries and, you know, won Emmys and this sort of thing. And it was, uh, it was, that was a very exciting time, too. So, I bet. you know, I've had, yes. there have been several stages to my, my career, but here I am now, uh, you know, running uh, Right Wisdom and Right Star Memoirs, uh, which... I don't know, in a way it sort of pulled everything together, you know, mm-hmm. how you I can see you that. suddenly see when you look back what it all adds up to. So I have to say uh, what I do now is my perfect job. I mean, yeah. I don't even want to call it a job. It's a calling, no. just as I know mm-hmm. what you do is a calling for you. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I can't imagine doing anything else, really. That's um, wonderful. I just love it so much. You know, and when people love what they do, it's it's in your voice. It's in your demeanor. It's in when you start talking about what you do that your face lights up, even if the mask is covering your smile at some point. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's it, it's it's internal, and I think that because you understand. I mean, storytelling obviously is something that we both really love. People keep asking me, when are you going to write your book, Marsha? It's like, when am I going to add that to the list? But right now, let's spend some time talking about your novel because this is very exciting. And and I would really like you to tell us, you know, you're not going to tell us about the entire book because I, I do have some questions specifically that I want to ask you. But can you just tell us a little bit about 
what the story is all about? Sure. Um, again, the title is All Sorrows Can Be Born. Um, and the sort of conclusion of that statement uh, is, if you can tell the story. Uh, and it's a quote that comes from the the novelist, memoirist, writer, Isaac Dennison, uh, who wrote a fabulous book called Out of Africa, about her time on a coffee plantation in Kenya. Uh, and she she's a real inspiration for me or one of the many inspirations among powerful mm-hmm. accomplished women so i took the first part of that quote and uh used it for my title it really resonated with me the notion that something really you know unimaginable painful can happen to you but if you can tell that story it begins to lose its power and through the telling of a story um, it releases its hold on you to some degree, not entirely, but um, there's, it has less of a grip on your on your life. And uh, the novel, which is inspired by a true story, um, is set in Japan pre, during, and after World War II, and my heroine, my main character, is a woman named Noriko Ito, um, who has to make an incredibly painful decision. She has to away or give up her little boy, who at that point turned three, in order to try and save her husband's life. And unfortunately, her having done that did not solve the problem and she ends up both losing her son and losing her husband. And uh, my sort of impetus for writing this book, which again is based on a true story, it's based on my husband's life, was to sort of try and understand how a woman could make that decision. I'm a mother and a mother of a son, and, um, you know, you'd have to shackle me, uh, and throw me in prison before I would ever do anything like that. So mm-hmm. the novel is is an exploration of Noriko's motivations. Uh, it start, begins uh, with the parting scene of of her and her husband at the airport in Tokyo, putting their little boy on an airplane to go to the United States. And she never, she doesn't know if she will ever see him again. Mm. And the pain of that, uh, and the sorrow of that, is just incredibly yeah. tremendous. I took a gamble giving you sort of the midpoint of the story as the opener, but it seems to work. Um, mm-hmm. And then it, we it we we learn about Noriko. She she lived through Hiroshima, the bombing of Hiroshima. Um, she survived. And her dream was to become uh, an actress and a singer in the Takarazuka Theater in Osaka, which is an all-female theater company. Mm. Uh, and the, the highest-ranking person in those companies play the men's roles. And that's what she wanted to do. She wow. really wanted to put on the tuxedo and mm-hmm. sing under the spotlight 
And unfortunately, when she tried out for the academy, which leads you into the troupe, she did not make it. And so mm-hmm. she had to sort of reinvent herself. I guess in a way that's something that I, I've done, you know, mm-hmm. this constant reinvention. Yes. And she ends up working as a waitress in a very upscale cafe in the Namba section of Osaka where she meets this mysterious film idol handsome man um, who, who, and they fall in love and marry. Uh, and within nine months of their marriage, they have this little boy, and he, her husband, is diagnosed with tuberculosis, mm. which was not all that uncommon during that time period. And he is unable to work, or he works sporadically, and he's sent to a sanitarium. It's kind of interesting to see how people with communicable diseases were treated back in the day because, of course, we've now gone through COVID. And there are certain passages of the book that coincidentally resonate, you know, with what's happening now. Mm -hmm. Um, And Noriko has to support the family. She has to try and raise this little boy uh, and the stresses and strains on her of, of trying to, you know, keep her head above water and somehow prop her husband up, who is sort of spinning out of control and falling into a pit of despair. I mean, the notion of a man being unable to earn a living, especially Mm -hmm. in a country like Japan, which holds, you know, pride as the most important thing in the world, and honor. It was Mm -hmm. devastating for him and for her, and, of course, the little boy begins to react to the tension in their in his parents marriage mm. which again i borrowed a little bit from my own life because as my husband's and my marriage were imploding my own son developed you know some issues which of course mm-hmm. went you know went away in time mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we we as parents don't always recognize how uh, what we're going through affects our children Right. Um, in, in, well, I, in, I'm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Let, sure, let me let you ahead. finish your thought. Well, I guess what no, I'm no. wondering, is, what I'm wondering is, um, so y- you are divorced from your husband, but this is really the story of his life and that of no, his family. No, this is the story of my second husband's life. Oh my goodness! Thank you for the thank you for the clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that yeah. clarity. Okay. Sure. Yes. I didn't no, it's know my that. second husband's story. He was born in Japan in Osaka. Okay. Came to the United States when he was three years old. Was okay. adopted by his uh, father's sister and her husband. Uh, her father's sister came to the United States because she met and married uh, an American soldier who was stationed in. Japan during the Got Korean it. War, okay. um, which was, again, was not an unusual situation. Mm-hmm. Many young Japanese uh, women would end up marrying American men, in part yes. because the war decimated so many of the men. You know, they mm-hmm. were killed during the Second World War. I mean, we always think of the war from our side, from our perspective, 
Right. But there, there, there is a whole other side um, okay. to the story always. Well, thank you for clearing that up for me because I didn't understand that. But so now that I understand that, I want to. I'm curious, what gave you the idea to even write this novel to start with? What was the, what was the leaping off point for you that thought I got to tell this story? Well, first of all, I'll say that whenever you're married to a writer, you better beware. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, a writer will, you know, grab whatever they can and use it. Um, okay. You know, and so um, my husband and I were probably married, I don't know, six, seven, eight years at the time, and I had heard bits and pieces of his story and his background, and a lot of it just didn't make sense to me. Um, and I hadn't really spent any time with his birth mother. I met her the for, for the first time when my husband and I got married. She came to our wedding mm-hmm. from nice. Osaka. Can you imagine meeting your mother-in-law wow. for the first time mm. on your wedding day? So wow. that was that was kind of interesting. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I met his I met, I met his adoptive mm-hmm. mother. You know, we had spent time together. And she's mm-hmm. actually his aunt, if you could follow that. Right. Um, but I hadn't met his birth mother, and she came for the wedding with her niece. And neither of them speak English, so it mm. was a lot of sign language and bowing mm-hmm. and smiling and gesturing <laughs> and, you know, oh. toing and froing to try to make ourselves understood. And laughing, that was the, that was the saving grace because we both had, I think, pretty good sense of humor and we saw mm-hmm. the humor in the whole thing. And my husband doesn't speak Japanese either, so okay. I couldn't look to him to help me understand what mom was saying because he came here so young. Um, right. And as with so many young immigrant children, um, you know, they're, they're pressured to be, quote, all-American, which means learning mm-hmm. English speaking right. English, forgetting your native language. I think that's changing now, and the notion mm-hmm. of being bi and trilingual um, is an asset. But back in the day, you know, they wanted to wash the Japanese out of his mouth as fast as they could and get him mm-hmm. to, you know, look and be like an all-American boy. Right. So um, to circle back to your question, you know, I had a lot of, curiosity about my husband's background and I asked him if I might write his the book you know a book Mm -hmm. I didn't really even know what shape it was going to take and at first I thought it would be a nonfiction book but then I realized there were so many holes to the story Mm -hmm. and characters who I needed to create to make sense of it all and of course his birth father was gone so I couldn't mm-hmm. meet with him and talk to him about his thoughts of, you know, what happened and why it happened and what motivated him because it was really he who pressured his wife to do this. You know, mm-hmm. I think on her own she never would have had this thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he came up that, with this cockamamie idea mm-hmm. to give away her little, her own child. I mean, wow. you know, which I can't imagine. No, I, I think anybody listening to this would think, "Wow!" I, I mean, I, I, I guess what I'm thinking is, "Well, so all right, you, you're going to send this three-year-old 
a gazillion miles away from home to to who knows that we'll ever see again and but at least it's going to he's going to a family member but i can only imagine how confusing it is to call your aunt your mom and why why did they send me why why what what did i do wrong you know that would be what a child would think what did i do wrong what what was i bad did i do something wrong that made you send me away i mean what does a child understand at that age i i you know all of the above you're absolutely, absolutely right i mean there's all of that and yet mm-hmm. you know in their minds in his parents minds especially his father they thought they would be giving him a better life. Right. You know, there was this romantic notion of America, you know, as being the land of all possibilities. Did, little did they know that he would end up in Glendive, Montana, mm-hmm. in the Badlands of Montana, it, with, you know, temperatures dropping below zero in the wintertime and reaching 100 degrees and over in the summer. Right. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, it became a big challenge, plus he looked so different from all the other children, and he was made fun of and called terrible names, um, you know, and he had to adjust to that. Uh, he tells one little story that I put into the book um, where uh, a kid calls him a dirty Jap, um, mm. and his mother hears about this and says, you know, you have to tell me when someone says something mean to you. Mm-hmm. And it, it, she said, what did you say to him, this child? And my husband said, I told him I'm not a dirty Jap, I'm a clean Jap. <laughs> God, wow, wow. How old was he, do you think, when he said that? Eight or nine. Wow, that's something. So I would imagine that you must have done an awful lot of research in doing your book. And it sounds like, so obviously you talked to your husband about this. Um, yes. Did you, were you able to actually interview both his birth mom and his adopt? Does he call both women mom, I presume? Uh, you know, he calls or not his necess- birth mother by her, her name. And okay, he called we go. his adoptive mother. Well, actually, I changed her name. I changed all okay. the names in the book at okay, my I'm husband's with you. request. Right. Because okay. once it morphed into a fictional account and into a novel, uh-huh. um, you know, and so much of it became my imagination and, you know, what I thought might have happened, he said to me, okay. you know, you've got to change the names, including mine. Sure. And at first I sure. was a little hurt because I thought, is doesn't he like what I'm doing? But then I understood, and it actually made it a bit easier to write. I bet. Because I could let my, you know, my imagination take over. Sure. Uh, and I didn't have to hew so closely to the facts that I did know. But in terms right. of the research that I did, um, of course, I interviewed my husband, which was kind of fun. And I interviewed his adoptive parents. And then I went to Japan, um, mm. and because my uh, his birth mother doesn't speak any English, I thought to myself, how the hell am I going to interview her? You know, we, mm-hmm. we don't speak, you know, she doesn't speak English, I don't speak Japanese. 
Um, and I thought, well, maybe I'll hire somebody in Osaka, you know, to act as the uh, as the translator. But then I got the idea, why don't I ask his adoptive mother? She mm. speaks fluent Japanese, mm-hmm. and she hasn't been back to her back to Japan since she left after the Korean War, and she's always wanted to go. So I said, you know, I said to her, and I called her Mitzi. Her name was uh, Mitsuko, but I called her Mitzi. Mm -hmm. I said, Mitzi, would you go with me? And, you know, there was this, like, pregnant pause on the phone. She said, well, Mm -hmm. what will Harry do? And I said, I think your husband can take care of himself for the 10 days that we'll be gone. I said, make a few meals, stick them in the freezer, and he'll do fine. (laughs) (laughs) So we took off, and we went to Osaka. Wow, wait, so so let me be clear. So who went to Osaka was yourself? Myself, Mitzi, Mitzi, who's my husband's adoptive mother, and we met with his birth mother. And your husband, I assume. No, no, my husband did oh, not just go. Oh, just the two women, just you and Mitzi? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. My husband was working, and I okay. think he, he probably felt that it would be easier on okay. all of us if he wasn't present. Got it. So uh, I took off and went to Osaka for 10 days, and every day we would have what uh, my mother-in-law would call book time. She would say that in English, book time. And I'd say, yes, book time. So we mm-hmm. would spend two or three hours in our hotel room sort of doing this round-robin thing. I'd ask a question, then it would be translated into Japanese. My mother, my birth, his birth mother-in-law would answer it in Japanese. Then my <laughs> the adoptive mother would translate it back into English, wow. and we'd go around and around like that. So, and I... Of course, I recorded absolutely everything because mm-hmm. I knew that when I got home, I would need someone to transcribe the material uh, right. and, you know, put it into what I call a Bible, which is what I do mm-hmm. for all my ghostwriting clients. I mm-hmm. interview them, uh, you know, either tape or digital, whatever I do, uh, and then everything gets transcribed, and then the transcriptions are sort of the the, the first pass to the actual story or mm-hmm. memoir that gets written. So that's what we did. Oh. And, wow. And then, of course, I, yeah, and then I did a ton of research, mm-hmm. you know, his, read historical documents, looked at movies, looked mm-hmm. at archival footage of the bombing of Hiroshima, looked at um, uh, movies about Tarazaka Theater. You know, you can go on YouTube and you can see, a show. I mean, you can literally watch the Takarazuka in action. Um, it's it's just amazing. And you know, I read other I read other Japanese based novels. Um, you know, to get a flavor. I read Seymour Hershey's book Hiroshima, which you know is is kind of I guess the definitive nonfiction book about the bombing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was, you know, and that was so much fun. But every writer will tell you, you know, how, how much fun it is to do research. But sometimes it pulls you into a rabbit hole. And right. And you spend your whole life doing research and never get around to writing the book. Yeah. Well, it's 
it's pretty it's, it's quite remarkable and i'm sure you had to decide what was going to stay what was going to leave you know did you did you have a page count on about how many, how big you wanted this novel to be. I mean, I'm holding it, you know, so I, I, I know this, how many pages it is. Yeah, this this was my first outing as a novelist. Okay. And um, so the first draft was probably 500 and something pages, and uh-huh. you know, 175,000 words, and <laughs> you know, and I wow. and I had to cut, 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 cut. Um, there's an expression, I don't know, I think it's Ernest Hemingway who says you have to kill your dar- little darlings, you know, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what you have to do. You know, you just, it's like, it's like bleeding because mm-hmm. you just don't want to give it up, but you have to, to focus your story and to, you know, bring out the gems and get rid of the dross and let those pages just you know, drop to the floor. And I went through, I think, eight or nine drafts, which is not unusual for a novelist to go through that many drafts. Um, and then when I started, I, when I took one of the drafts out to an agent, because I was looking to publish the book, of course, mm-hmm. I had at the agent say to me, this book is too long. I, can, I won't mm-hmm. be able to sell it. And I mm-hmm. said, well, why not? And I just got the most painful response. She said to me, because this book takes up too much room on the bookshelf. I can sell two books. Oh, my gosh. And put them up there for your one book. Yeah. Wow. And I wow. Yes. Wow. She's talking about physicality. This book cannot be this wide. This book can only be this wide. Exactly. And that's exactly the case because you're talking about shelf space or display space in a bookstore. And if you're a first time, you know, novelist, you're not John Grisham, you're not Ernest Hemingway, you don't have, you know, street creed, you're just a beginner, you know, she was telling me something that was probably pretty accurate. I mean, mm. I suppose I could have stood my ground and said, I'm going to write a 500-page novel and, you know, whatever, whatever, but that would have been mm-hmm. foolish. You know, you have mm-hmm. to really understand the marketplace and listen mm-hmm. to people who've been in the business because that's what it is. I mean, the publishing world is a business like any other business. You know, we all right. like to think of ourselves as artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes right down to it, we're we're also, you know, marketers. And our right. goal is to get our book in front of as many eyeballs as we can to share our story. Otherwise, why bother writing it? True. I, I would like to just, just mention this really quickly right now that you do have two websites, and I'm going to spell this for you so that people will be able to find it. Um, the, the the website to order the book is Lauren, and Lauren is spelled L-O-R-E-N, the, the initial M, and Stevens is spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S dot com forward slash book. And, and the book is available now for you to purchase. I would also just like, we're going to be talking in just a few moments about your um, your organization that you're the president of, which is Right Wisdom, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I guess 
before we talk about that, I, I think it's I think feelings are really important. Clearly, this generated an enormous amount of feelings, not just for you, for your husband, for his mom, for his. I, 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 I'm having trouble with the handles. I presume that he, as a three-year-old moving forward, cons- called his mom his mom. Is that would that be accurate? Well, as I say, his his birth mother, he could call her mom, but he tends to call right. her by her by her right. first name, her given name. Right. But the but in Montana, the the man and woman that raised uh-huh. him, they, they, they're called mom and dad. Yes. That's what I that's what I would presume. That, yes. That's the mom yes. he knows the longest. So I would think that all of the characters in this movie um, that's on a written form right now, everyone had feelings about this. And I'm just wondering, what did it feel like for you as the storyteller to write about your husband and his and his story? How did that make you feel? You know, I I think I mean, obviously I wanted him to love the book. Mm-hmm. And I was very sensitive to certain things that he felt I should not include in the book. If I used a phrase that he was concerned about, I took it out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I wanted to honor him and his feelings and the fact that he'd been so generous to say, yes, you can write my book when it was his story in a sense. Um, But I think when I got right down to it, I was, I had a, a job to do, which was to write this novel. Mm-hmm. And I drew on my own emotions and feelings, uh, of course, to you know infuse every scene with something that a reader could relate to because at the end of the day, it's the emotion of a scene that's going to speak to the reader, no matter whether mm-hmm. it's set in you know the bush of Kenya or the badlands of Montana or anything else Mm -hmm. you know the universal Mm -hmm. the universal hook is what are the characters feeling and how to communicate that and that became my challenge Um, and I and I sort of put on my writer hat and took off my wife you know my wife's mm-hmm. hat, as it were. Um, I don't know if I've answered your question, but um, no, you did. I, I guess. I, well, I guess maybe just in a word or two. Did it make you feel proud? Did it make you feel um, a, a sensitivity and a love for 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 all that happened in this in this combined family? Absolutely. You yes. know. I, I felt a tremendous um, respect for my husband's adoptive father who engineered the entire uh, immigration to the United States because mm-hmm. there was a lot, there were many impediments. There was a quota uh, for Japanese. Mm-hmm. I think only 250 Japanese were allowed into the United States. At that time, uh, Kennedy was trying to change that and improve relations with Japan, and one of the things that he wanted to do was 
to um, raise the ceiling on the quota system. Um, there were other confusions, for example, uh, when the forms were filled out by my husband's birthed parents, they had to check off the box to rights mm. to my husband. And I can oh. only imagine how his birth must, mother must have felt. And I have a scene in the book where she says, no government can take away my right to my child. I can check this box and I can pretend to give him away because that's what I have to do in order for him to come to the United States. Right. But, you know, that's just a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the other the other aspects were, um, you know, they had to be pre-approved for by the Department of Child Services, state of Montana, and there was just a whole range of bureaucratic stuff that they had to go through. And if my husband's uh, adoptive father was not adept at this because he had pretty much done the same thing during the Korean War, dealing with bureaucrats, you know, it never would have happened. And so I have a huge amount for him. And, of course, I was given the entire file of all the letters back and forth. And at the end of the day, um, Congress had to uh, approve a private bill with my husband's name on it giving him permission to come to the United States, and the bill got signed by President Kennedy. Wow. Yeah. And there aren't very many people where that is the case, but because of the unusual facts of the situation, that's how things happened, and that's how he managed to, you know, make his way to this country. So, again, I have a huge amount of respect for his adoptive father, uh, for his adoptive mother, who was mm-hmm. not able to have any children of her own. She mm-hmm. had been childless for nine years. Mm-hmm. And the thought of finally having a, a little boy, a baby, right. you know, was unbelievable. It was right. more than she what could ever gift. have imagined. But at the same time, she knew that her her brother was so ill, and that's why she would have this good fortune. So it was kind of a mixed blessing. You know, she 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 worried, is my brother going to die? They were so close, and they had survived the war, the Second World War, together, living on the street as orphans. So, um, you know, she had huge amount of anxiety I bet. over all of this. I bet. Wow. All right. We don't have a lot of time left, but I did want to talk about your your company, and I also sure. really wanted I wanted to talk about specifically ghostwriting because that's mm-hmm. what you're all about. And for for many of us that have never written a book, or maybe maybe you you've never written a book, but you understand the diff- the definition. Could you define what ghostwriting actually means, I, I, so that people understand what a ghostwriter does? Sure. 
Um, and until I did it, I didn't know what it meant either. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That helps. <laughs> you know, you do it. You fake it till you make it. That's right. Um, you know, uh, I'll call you the writer client. You're the one right. with the story. And that's the nomenclature. And that's what the contract says. You know, okay. you, Marsha Perens, writer client. I mean, author okay. client. Excuse me, author client. And okay. I am the writer. And I am going to learn everything I can about your story. And then I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write your book for you. And then I'm going to disappear wow. like a ghost mm-hmm. in the night. Now, I might be acknowledged in the book, which mm-hmm. my clients always do. Mm-hmm. And they always um, allow me to list, well, not always. Mostly, they allow me to list their books on my website. So if somebody wants to check out, you know, the kind of books I've done, they go to Write Wisdom and they go to books. And then you'll see a whole sort of, you know, catalog and book covers. And you can click on a book cover and get a little bit more information about that book. And the books range from uh, inspirational books to how I built my business to... Um, how I survived the war to, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. And um, occasionally I will end up, and then I'm not really quite a ghostwriter, I'll end up as written with. So, oh, for example, the I've book that, that I did. Before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book I wrote, Paris Nights, My Year at the Moulin Rouge, by Cliff Simon with Lauren Stevens. The two of us partnered together. And so, you know, I had a, a, an equal credit. Again, it was it was Cliff's story. He became the star of the Moulin Rouge. And mm-hmm. um, then he went back to South Africa and he became Mr. South Africa. And then he starred in a soap opera and then he came to this country, and blah, blah, blah. And we spent a year working together on his book and the whole idea got generated when one day we were chatting and he mentioned something about the Moulin Rouge and I'm I love Paris and I love France and I speak French and it's like oh my god what are you talking about and he said yeah I I I lived in Paris for a year and I became the star of the Moulin Rouge and I did this and that and I you know ran with the the diamond smugglers and the Mm. ladies of the night and I said oh my god this is an amazing story have you ever thought of writing your book he said I've been thinking about it for years but I I'm not a writer so I raised my hand I said well I am and so we were off and running wow that's so So that's what a ghostwriter does you know you are uh, the writer and the person that's, let's say I'm the person. I've yes, got a story to tell. you're the author slash client. Right. You're the author because it's your story, Marsha's story. Got it. And that's my job good to understand. Is, mm-hmm. My job is to get you to the finish line, you know, to get you to the end. And then if you need help, I can help you determine how to get that book published 
you know, whether to go try to get a traditional book deal with a major publishing house, which is Mm -hmm. probably not realistic. Yeah. Or we can look at a hybrid press or we can do it ourselves on demand. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, publishing has become uh, the wild, wild west. You can Mm -hmm. do it any which way um, and, you know, have a book. That's a perfectly legitimate book. It may not be a Simon & Schuster book. It may not be Mm -hmm. a Little Brown book. It may not be, (laughs) you know, what they call the the legacy presses, the big five, of of which Mm -hmm. there are only five left. Mm -hmm. Or you might have a boutique press. For example, my book, All Sorrows Can Be Born, is published by Rare Bird, which is a Los Angeles-based very nice publishing company with whom Mm -hmm. I had a previous relationship. And when I was ready, you know, to go out with my book, I called Tyson Cornell at Rare Bird and I said, does this interest you? And he said, absolutely, send me the manuscript. And that was the story, and it got done that way. Nice. That's that's. I I really appreciate you ex- explaining that. That 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 helps me to understand this a little bit better. Um, Good. So if somebody is, and you know, let's talk about one other thing too, because I think this is another service that I really recommend people visit your website, which is right. And as you might imagine, it's spelled W. It's the W, right? W R I T E Wisdom. Dot com, and you can go to the services because you also do memoir writing. And frankly, I didn't know what that definition was either. Do you want to tell people what a memoir is? Sure. A memoir is uh, kind of, as you would guess, it's based on your memory. It's memories of your life. It's not an autobiography, which would mean I was born on such and such a day, and then I did mm-hmm. this, and then I did that, and then I went to college, and da 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 da. Um, that's fine, but that's mm-hmm. not what a memoir is. A memoir, first of all, it can jump all over the place. It can be very much. Um, uh, it's it, what word is it that I'm looking for? It can be a train of thought. You know, in other words, it doesn't have to be chronological. One one story can prompt another story, can prompt another story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's much more uh, freewheeling than an autobiography would be, um, and it's on your memories. And uh, of course, you try and hew as close to the truth as you can, because we've all heard those stories where someone you know, wrote a memoir, and it turned out they made up half of what ended up in the book, and they got into oh, a, see. a lot of trouble, and I can name right. many titles uh, mm-hmm. that that happened with, mm-hmm. so much so that books will be pulled off the bookshelves if wow. it's discovered that what they've written is not the truth, because when you sign a contract with a publishing company, if you call it a memoir, you know, you're you're making a um, representation that this mm-hmm. is this is you know, what happened to the best of your ability to remember. Is a memoir um, a, sh- a shorter version um, of, of being, of writing, you know, if you're a ghost writer and now I'm writing a story about what I've done in my life, you know, if is a memoir, can it be shorter? 
can I mean Oh absolutely. Does, I mean it can just yeah. be you know, my year at the Moulin Rouge. I mean I see. Cliff and I decided that sort of the focus of the book would be that year. Um and mm-hmm. we added a little on the front end so you would kind of go back for a chapter to his childhood in Johannesburg, South Africa. And okay. then the back end of the book was a little bit about coming to America with his wife and beginning his career here as a well-known actor. But the major focus of that book was that year in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and many memoirs are like that. You know, someone will just decide, okay, I want to write about, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, my career in investment banking or mortgage banking. That's all I want to write mm-hmm. about. And so that's what you mm-hmm. write about. And it's mm-hmm. and it's got a, you know, a, a very, it's got bookends, you know, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we know that, mm-hmm. you know, when Lauren leaves the mortgage banking world, that's the end of the book. Of course, she's done many things since, mm-hmm. but um, that's all she wants to write about. For example, right now, um, I'm thinking about a book that I might write with my sister. Oh, neat. Um, yes. She and I are a year apart, and we've taken many, many trips together, just the two of Mm -hmm. us. We call it our annual sister trip. Mm -hmm. And our last trip before COVID was London and the Cotswolds. And I found Mm -hmm. a blog that I had written about that trip. And it got me to thinking, you know, we we could select maybe 10 or 12 of our trips and just write about them. Wow. And I think we could have you know, a really interesting book. Plus, my sister's an artist, mm. a very well-known artist, and so she mm. would do all the illustrations. Wow, that would be so cool. And I would do the text, and we would collaborate. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I can't help but relate to what you're saying. And I have had people say to me, Marsha, you've done 300 episodes of Born to Talk, and you have met people across this country and out of this country, all with a story to tell. It's like, so how does that make you feel? That's what Uh was asked to me. How does that make you feel? And I'm Uh thinking, well, dang, are you talking about a memoir? It almost sounds like that. Like, well, let me just tell you a little. I never, I, I would have never... I would have never interpreted that word to me, but I could mm-hmm. see where other people are listening. Maybe they had a life full of sports. Maybe they had a life full of of service. I mean, I could I could write about what it meant to be in the PTA for forever many years as a volunteer. Absolutely. What it meant like to work at the YMCA, what it means sure. to be a volunteer in the rotary in my chamber. I mean, I'm just thinking about my own personal life, and I'm just thinking that other people that might be listening may be thinking the same thing. And sure. I would really recommend that they get in, that they check, it, check you out, look, look into the services that you have to offer. Maybe it isn't a memoir. Maybe it really is somebody that wants to write a novel, but you don't know where to start. Does the left foot go first or does the right foot go first? You know, 
do you jump forward? Do you jump backwards? How do you how, help me? You know, help me, Rhonda. How do you get this going? <laughs> and um, sorry, that was that's so funny. I can't help it. Well, you got in your that. case, I know. yes, ma'am. In your mm-hmm. case, my recommendation, and I think mm-hmm. it could be a very, very interesting and entertaining book, is to just sit quietly with yourself mm-hmm. and see what bubbles up and see which of the 300 guests Mm -hmm. are the most fascinating to you and why. And then you can also organize it in terms of themes, women who blah, blah, women who Mm -hmm. blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You can almost see this thematically. And then those 10 women in each one of those pots would um, connect in a certain way, because, you know, you mm. just don't want to be flying all over the place by the seat of your pants. You want right. to try and have some kind of structure. Right. Wow, that's that's really, that. that I thank you for saying that, because that might really be, I, I sort of see it in a, I, I see the advantages in so many ways. You know, maybe it's just what it was like to be married for X amount of years. You know, who you, I guess you'd have to think about, Who's your audience? Who do you who do you right. think would be interested in reading this? And that would probably be a prompt. And before we just get to the end of this hour, and I knew it would fly by, when you're not working, when you're not delving into your business, what do you like to do for fun? Where where do you balance the work life from to the fun on the fun side of life? Well, first of all, it's extremely difficult because I have so many clients. And so many projects I'm working on, mm-hmm. and when you work for yourself, as you know, right? You know, you really have to be disciplined yes. to just say that's it. You know, turn the light off, shut off the computer, and go somewhere else. Right. Um, I have two offices, one in my home and one in Beverly Hills, and I sort of toggle back and forth from the two of them, you know, from one to the other, just for a change mm-hmm. of scenery, for God's sake. Right. Um, but, you know, where do I have fun? Uh, I love, you know, I love spending time with my husband. He's he's a workaholic, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, that takes quite a bit of engineering. And, you know, <laughs> we usually have, have a date night, which yes. is typically a Saturday night. And we do something like to, you know, go to a restaurant, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And we love the movies and we love theater. And we love museums, mm-hmm. but, of course, we haven't been able to do that since, you know, right. what, a year ago, March. Right. But things are starting to open up a little bit. They are. Um, I love to spend time with my sister, as I mentioned. We usually take right. one to two trips a year, which um, are always fabulous. Um, I love spending time with my son, who lives around the corner, and he works nice. with me. So that's nice. pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, uh, what else? I mean, theater, film, books that I'm not working right. on that I just want to read. I support mm-hmm. my local bookstore, Diesel Books, which is where we're having our Zoom launch on the 11th of May. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're doing it. We can't do it in person, so it's being done via Zoom, and and uh, the host will be Jonathan Kirsch, who's a lawyer, and himself uh, an author and a critic 
for the Jewish Journal of Los Angeles. He's going to be mm-hmm. interviewing me um, for the book launch and and traveling. I mean, I just, oh, yes. you know, give me a ticket, I'll go anywhere. So me long as it's too. class. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm, well, not hey. good. I'm not good uh, at, at slumming it. I used to do uh, that. I don't know if you remember the book, Eric Fromer's Europe on $5 a day. Well, that was no. me. Oh, that's okay. So well, yeah, but I don't do that anymore. I, I, well, I've, I've gotten well, to the point where I like going first class. Well, fortunate for you that you can do that. And I just, in talking with my son, who lives in Tucson with his wife, we were talking about okay, so where should we go if we could go? Where should we go? Yes. And we're looking at each other on the Zoom call yesterday, and I said, I know where I would go, and it starts with the letter P. And I'm looking straight into my son's eyes, and he said, yep. And and my daughter-in-law is looking at the two of us going, what are they talking about? And I said, do I know what the P stands for, Dave? And he said, yeah. And I said, I do too. We want to go to Poland. My husband was Polish. Wow. And so we actually talked about the possibility in wow. July of 22, yes. of going to Poland because that's a place that I've never been. So you now, know, to be you have family right? who lived in Poland, or is it just uh, my, something my, you're my, in? My my yes, my ancestry is was in Poland, probably mm-hmm. like yours, Poland and Germany. Mm-hmm. But my mm-hmm. my mother-in-law um, and my mother, my mother-in-law's mother, my my husband's grandmother, she she was born in Poland. And um, and they spoke Polish in his household. My husband didn't mm-hmm. speak Polish, but his mother and his father did. So mm-hmm. yes, there's there's a desire to want to do to do that trip. And so I would agree with you. Travel is wonderful. But I can just tell you that while you and I have never met in person, that's going to happen this year because we don't live that far from one another. I'd and love to meet you. I would love to meet you t- as well because. That's what it's all about, Alfie. I'm sorry for another yeah. song title, but it's the right. truth. And I knew this hour would fly by because it has. And I just want to thank you so much for taking the time in your busy schedule to join me today. This has been such a pleasure and an honor to have you be my guest today. Well, Marcia, thank you so much. And it has flown by for me, too. You're an amazing interviewer and I just I just I love you you're fabulous and thank thank you you for having me on your show um, and keep doing what you're doing because it is so valuable and write that book get that book do that book yes I'm I'm thinking that you know this may be the year that I consider doing that I've certainly been encouraged and Thank you for giving me that consideration because, you know, maybe that is. I, I, I have to sit quiet with myself and as a meditator yes. and a yogi. Yes. I, I mean, I really do try and take that time to take those shoulders back down where they belong. And maybe it right. will bubble up, just like you said. Exactly. So I look you, need to, yep. you need to be quiet and just see what comes across your screen. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you. Thank you for for being with me, and you know we're just at the, you know we're we're into May now, but maybe at the end of the year we'll revisit again and see what you've been doing 
since our last time together. But thank for now, you. I will let you get on with the rest of your Monday. Um, thank you to all my listeners that continue to support me. Tell your friends so you can also enjoy this this ride with me. So I will say goodbye to you now. Thank you once again. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye for now, everybody. Bye. Bye.